Morning, Bosh AM. What a privilege it is to uh, speak to you this morning. Uh, this is the final talk in the First Things First series. Maybe just a quick uh, uh, disclaimer, if you're wondering what has happened on the side of my mouth here, I've had a 15-bout round with a dentist, and uh, so that's why I'm a bit swollen. But don't worry about me, it looks worse than it is. So over the last little while, we've uh, listened to our preaching team uh, call us to put first in our lives uh, Jesus' work and His Word. Uh, we've sensed God call us as a priority to a culture of honor. We feel we've been called northward to live with defiant joy in times of despair. And last week, what an inspiring talk, the call to holy ambition. And today's final talk uh, I've entitled, Having an Overcoming Spirit. And you'll understand why it's one of those first things first kind of talks in a moment. Special thanks to John Tyson uh, out of City Church, New York, who's inspired a lot of the series. And I want to say right up front, I believe that in 2021, one of the things on the heart of God for us as His people is to awaken us in, in us freshly an overcoming spirit. In a sense, when we look at the Old Testament story of Israel, we find ourselves, like Israel, caught between the present realities of the challenges we're going through and the certainty of future destiny, and we caught between how do we live that out. And uh, uh, we're going to see in the passage that we're going to preach from this morning uh, how that plays itself out, both positively and negatively. But quickly, a little Bible quiz. See if you can locate these guys in the redemptive story of Scripture. These names, and if you're looking for names for kids, some of you may be pregnant out there, and uh, these are some possibilities. I probably will understand why you won't choose these names. Shamua, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amil, Sether, Nabi, Geuel. All of these names are the names of tribal leaders in Israel. And from Numbers 13 verse 1, God said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Canaanites. So these names are actually ten names of the ten leaders of ten of the tribes, and they each came from an ancestral tribe to go and spy out the land. And verse 3 says, So the Lord commanded, um, uh, at, at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders in Israel. Of course, there were two other tribes led by Caleb and Joshua, and these are the kind of leaders that we do want to name our kids after. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, tells us that all of the story of God, all of God's dealings with Israel in the Old Testament are written down as examples and warnings for us upon whom the fulfillment of the ages 
is come. In other words, if you want to know how God is dealing with his people in every generation, you go back and you say, wow, this is how God worked with his people. This is how he brought them into the inheritance that helps us to know, even in these gospel times, how God will work with us. And so a quick summary of Numbers chapter 13 and 14 to uh, show you how those 10 guys got it so wrong and how two guys, particularly the one guy, Caleb, got it so right. Number one, I want you to notice that these were, were spies that were sent by God. Moses sent them at God's instruction. And what was behind God's purpose in this was to build faith for their inheritance. God wants us always to live with a view of the future. And so these guys go in, and the brief was twofold. Get a glimpse of what's on the ground, the promised land, and secondly, bring back some fruit. And providentially, it was the season of grapes. And by going into the land, they were to get a window of the future that was beckoning them. And for 40 days they spied out the land. And verse 23 says they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down a branch. And we see this in biblical art. With a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it, one bunch of grapes, on a pole between two men. And they also took some pomegranates and figs. And then they came back after 40 days and, days and reported back to Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. And they brought back a report, essentially, so that everyone would get this window into this beckoning uh, future and show off the fruit. And so far, as they arrived, everyone was in agreement. It, yes, it's a land flowing. It's a good land flowing with milk and honey. Until ten of them began to put the handbrake on that beckoning future. Ten of them became overcome with fear and unbelief, whilst at the same time, Joshua and Caleb's see in this fruit a field of dreams. We see that the ten begin to fill the hearts of the whole uh, congregation of Israel with fear. We see them beginning to exaggerate the challenges. Let me say this. There were going to be battles up front. There were going to probably be people who'd lose their lives in those battles. But these guys exaggerated the challenges. And so we read it in chapter 14 and verse 1. And the whole congregation lifted up their voices and cried out. And that night the people wept. They've just had a report of what's waiting for them. All the Israelites grumbled against God and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why is God bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And so they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. They totally lost the plot. And God 
says to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? That's what's happening here. This isn't about giants. This isn't about the land. This is about how people are relating to God. How long will this people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me despite all the signs that I have performed among them? And God then gets really angry. And just the summary, as we land the summary, uh, he wants to uh, wipe out these people and start again with Moses. And Moses pleads with them and says, no, your reputation's at stake, God. Don't do this. And eventually after this interaction with Moses, God pardons them. And here's the crunch verse. But he says, In chapter 14, verse 21, As surely as I live and as surely as the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord, not one of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, not one will ever see the land that I swore to give their fathers. None of those who treated me with contempt will see it. Drum solo, get excited. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has followed me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he has entered and his descendants will inherit it with him. Wow. Friends, as we move in our own season toward our own inheritance as a church, as a business, as a family, in your own life, Caleb stands tall as an inspiration for this very season we're in in history. He's a man with a different spirit. He is truly remarkable, and he provides us with what I call a curriculum for overcoming. Now, very quickly, commentators summarize these episodes between the good report and the bad report. They, they just summarize as like competing Uh, uh, reports and responses. Some suggest the 10 spies returned with a bad report, while Joshua and Caleb returned with this good report. Now today, and over the last week or so, as I've read this passage over and over, I want to humbly propose that there may be a more accurate summary. We need to ask the question, what was so bad about their bad report, and what's so good about Joshua and Caleb's good report. Think about it. Surely it can't just be a simple contrast between something negative and positive. Surely it's not a contest between the optimists, the sunny optimists, and the gloomy pessimists. And that's why it's so dangerous, because if it were simply that, I would be standing with you uh, before you as a motivational speaker, trying to hype you up to become more, more positive to get a better outlook on life. And I don't want to do that, and I don't think that's what was going on. I don't want to suck you up. I want to anchor you. I want to root you. I want to help you and I discover freshly what was at the heart. What makes a good report a good report? What makes a bad report a bad report? And when you see it, it's simply remarkable, and it can change your life today right now. So here goes. For Joshua and Caleb in particular, a good report, da-da-da-da, is a God report. God is central to Caleb's report, along with the historical promise, the prophesied inheritance, the approaching battles, the guaranteed victories. Way back in the past, 
there is this conviction that God has said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you and your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this land was to become a missional base for the people of God to carry the reputation and the glory of God on their shoulders. Caleb punched a hole into history, not because his report was radically different from the ten, but because he kept God in the front, in the center of his feedback, because he was confident about God's goodness and graciousness. For the ten, the concept of God was first to go. For Caleb... It was the goodness and the grace to go to over and over and never, ever surrender that. And as we track Caleb's life, we'll see there are five giving ways where Caleb's different spiritedness are exemplary. And in these COVID times, I really want to call us and inspire us and encourage us and exhort us and even correct us. To be like this, and I believe it's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that will want to uh, bring this different heartedness to our lives. So number one, big difference in Caleb's life. He had a different perspective. The ten spies, where they fell apart was they had a wrong view of God, they had a wrong view of history, they had a wrong view of the land, and they had a wrong view of themselves. Caleb had a different uh, perspective. That's why uh, the scripture says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. He uses that word. Your perspective helps to overcome. If you have a wrong perspective, you will not overcome. The giants that the ten saw represented inadequacy, danger, and risk. Caleb's shouting out, we can do it. Not the Nike t-shirt, just do it. Not the sense of uh, self-confidence, uh, over-assertiveness. Uh, no, the God-centeredness, the story, the promise, we can do this. Can this be true for you in 2021? At this point, I'm speaking to you, maybe You've gone through the worst of COVID and you're carrying the worst scars of loss and pain. I want to say to you, God is in your future. I want to say to you, God at the center of your life can write a new story for your life. I want to say to you, right now, right now in the heart of God are magnificent plans for you, this church, and all of his church in the city of Cape Town. And what Caleb is modeling for us is this high view of God. That was his perspective. That was his lens. His passionate plea to the people was something like this. Don't look at the circumstances in front of you. Look at the miracles behind you. If God can bring you out of Egypt, those and those, these giants and fortified cities don't stand a chance. The ten spies had this grasshopper syndrome. They had a lens that shrunk God. And ultimately, if you shrink God in the story, you shrink 
yourselves. What's so wrong about the ten spies' perspective? (laughs) We discover later in Joshua, the truth of the matter is that the inheritance, uh, that the inhabitants of the land were in actual fact terrified at Israel. When Joshua sent spies to Jericho, Rahab said to them, A great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. When the people heard that God, what God had done to the Israelites, they said, Our hearts melted in fear, in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. And if that's not enough, even when they crossed the Red Sea, the spies should have known this. Because they sung at the Red Sea these words, the people of Canaan melted away, terror and dread fell upon them. Caleb had a different perspective. He had a God lens. And he compared all the opposition to the greatness, the majesty, and the glory of God. Secondly, and the next ones are a bit shorter, Caleb had a different obedience. Read these verses in verse 24, because Caleb, my servant, has a different spirit and has followed me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he has entered, and his descendants will inherit it. I love this thing of God didn't just have Caleb in his mind. He had his multi-generational offspring included in this blessing. And this term, uh, he followed God fully or wholeheartedly, is mentioned five times. In those, in those narratives, and really means he was filled with pursuing. This isn't a spirit of obedience where, where he just wants to do everything right. No, it's a spirit of obedience which isn't about the rules and jumping through the hoops. It's a spirit of obedience where he's under the loving, benevolent rule of Yahweh. He's totally yielded. He wants to please Yahweh. He had an undivided heart, which would have included a hatred for sin. It would have included living right and obeying God's uh, righteous laws. But the higher upward core was he wasn't under God's rules. He was under God's rule. And that brings a different obedience. It's a heart for God's kind and good and gracious new management. Friends, The God we're talking about this morning is so for you. He sent his only son into the world to reach you, to redeem you, to save you. The giants of sin, temptation, despair, the devil himself are not strong enough to separate you from that kind of love in Christ, his son. And I want to say to you, when you see a God like that, your heart too will melt and will want to please him and will want to live like Caleb, you'll see God differently. Not as one who's messing with your fun and your lifestyle, but someone who when you see him as he really is, you will love differently, you will obey differently. Jesus says, if you really see me like I am, you'll love me. And when you love me, you will obey me. Thirdly, Caleb had a different influence. We read these words, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. 
In verse uh, uh, <clears throat> chapter 14, verse uh, 6 and verse 8, we read, And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. <clears throat> I love that language, according to my convictions. Other people are being taken south by all the negative speak of the ten spies. But Caleb stands tall with conviction. I want to ask you the question. Do you have conviction? And what are those convictions based of? Caleb had a conviction based on the promises in the Word of God, the, the prophetic promises that God was calling the people of Israel to. He stood with conviction like a statesman in his moment in history. I want to ask you, common grounders, friends, Captonians, wherever you are in the world, have you surrendered your convictions? And if you have convictions, what are they based on? Caleb models for us what I call God-centered convictions. And he had a different influence, but did it work initially? Unfortunately, it didn't, but he was still faithful to God. He lived out trying to influence those within his moment in history, those within his sphere, and ultimately it came good. How did the people respond to Caleb? Well, all night long they wailed, paraphrased, woe is us. <laughs> Caleb and Josh appealed to the crowd, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will give us safety into that land and give it to us. It is a land uh, flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people in the land. We are only, they, are, they are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. What do we got here? We got God-centered conviction. That's how we influence. Folk, we don't come, we don't influence people with charm. We don't influence people with our uh, great inner lawyer uh, capabilities. We influence people with, with, with God thoughts. And by the way, every one of us who follows Christ, we have such power to influence. We can influence, we're in the business of words through our preaching, through our praying, through our prophesying, through our encouraging, through our praising. <clears throat> and these times where we are caught between present uh, reality and future destiny, in these very times, we need to ask the question, is my mouth a well of life? Or is it being poisoned by negativity, fear, and cynicism? Is your mouth a means of grace or an echo of despair? Fourthly, Caleb also had a different perseverance. According to the numbers of days in which he spied out the land, God says, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. This is God's word to the nation of Israel as a result of that bad report, that godless report, shrinking the confidence, melting people with fear. 
God says, I am now going to deal with you. They, came, they crossed a line at that moment and came under God's hand of discipline. Not only did he shut down the idea of going back to Egypt, but he slammed the door shut to Canaan for 40 years, my dear friends. <laughs> Here's the deal. He had a different perseverance. Notice, he's still part of the people of God. Caleb was told, none of your contemporaries are going to uh, enter the land, but I'm going to bring you and everybody else under 20, particularly your uh, 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 members of your family. Gonna, but Caleb knew he had to wait 40 years. So I could imagine him writing a book on how to sulk. I can imagine him writing uh, emails to all his mates, talking about how uh, unfair life is. Well, no, we can't really imagine that. <laughs> Caleb is just so different. <laughs> He's the guy who goes head down, heart up. He is going to serve the purposes of God in his generation. And here's the issue. What did he do for 40 years? Did he just twiddle his thumbs? No. He got on while all his friends were passing away, while he attended numerous memorial services. Our beautiful friend and model Caleb is preparing the next generation in his clan to follow God with a whole heart because he knows they're going to occupy the land. He doesn't sulk in disappointment for four decades. He doesn't get old and bitter like certain politicians with Twitter accounts and blah, blah, blah. Caleb knows if it hasn't happened yet, what God promised God is at work shaping the people of God for it to happen in the future. My friend, if you've got longings and wondering, when is God going to deliver on that? If God has promised it, it's in his word, it's for his glory, and it's for your good, then let's be part of being shaped. Let's yield to his shaping work in our lives. And so Caleb perseveres because He's got a vision of the future because future destiny is stronger than present challenge. I love that verse in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5. It says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. Christ himself wants to infuse us with persevering grace as a fruit of the Spirit. So let me land. All this led... A, a, a different perspective, a different obedience, a different influence, a different perseverance. All this led ultimately to what God promised, a different inheritance. And this is a very short point. At 85 years old, our friend uh, Caleb is air-conditioned. Now, not A-I-R, H-E-I-R. He's air-conditioned. He's always been that way. In chapter 14, Joshua, verse 10, Now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years. He spent the first five years as they came out the wilderness helping others occupy their land. And now, since the time He said this to Moses, while Israel moved in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the Lord sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. 
Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. But that's not where it stopped, because later on in Caleb's life, he says to Joshua, there still remains much more land to be possessed. Friends, just a quick little personal story. When the possibility of the Bridges Retreat Center in Franschhoek came to us, this is what I experienced. It was like a window into the future. It was a sense God must know more about the future of his church and his kingdom and all the, the gospel aligned ministries in Cape Town. He must know more than we realized for him to put this tool in the hands of a, a bunch of servant-hearted people. And we're a part of that. Is an amazing indicator that there is more land to be possessed. There is a greater inheritance. And friends, as we move toward prayer, let me just remind you, we're not saying there's, there's Caleb, we want to be like Caleb, we're saying we're inspired by Caleb, but God has sent his precious Holy Spirit, and a greater than Caleb is here. Uh, the Holy Spirit indwells us we have the guarantee of difference. We have the guarantee of being powered to have these distinctives at work in our lives. And we're different. We're going to live with a spirit birth, new perspective, a spirit birth, new obedience, a spirit birth, new influence, and a spirit birth, perseverance as we move toward our inheritance. We're saying no to being functional atheists. To say, oh, we, we believe this thing, but we actually don't entrust ourselves wholeheartedly, fully to the one who needs to be first in our lives. That is the secret, friends, of what needs to be first. All the other parts of the series are made alive by God at the center. So three little warnings, and then we're going to pray. First Corinthians 10 says, all of this stuff is written down as encouragement, as warnings. I hope you've got the encouragement out of the passage, but just three warnings. Warning number one, I plead with you in Christ's name, do not surrender your sense of future and inheritance totally to COVID-19 and the challenges that come with it. Warning number two is let's be careful to take the next generation with us in whatever we're becoming as a, as a, a gospel community. And warning number three, if you're like Sue and I, we're getting a second wind. We're asking God for a second wind. Let's not be those older senior citizens in the church backing down, giving up, dialing out prematurely. There's much more land to be possessed. And he who spared not his own son, how much more will he graciously give us all things? God, I want to thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. I come before you in fear and trembling. I want to ask you that today would be both an encouragement and an interruption and a shaping and a call to faith as we give you our biggest yes. You alone are worthy of our one and only life. You alone stand in the future tall and strong. You alone will be glorified. You alone will see 
uh, lives transformed, churches planted, cities renewed. And we look to you. Hear our prayers. In Christ's name, for his glory. Amen.